0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. And as you're seated this morning, you open your Bibles back to Mark 13. If you weren't here last week, let me give you just a real quick summary uh, of what we covered last week. Uh This passage, one of the most controversial, if you want to say, probably one of the most debated in all the the Bible, not just in the Gospel of Mark, but in the Bible, Uh, not so much because of theological issues, but more because of interpretation. And so different writers, different Christians throughout the ages, I mean, we're talking about evangelical Christians, people that are committed to the uh, truth of God's Word, have looked upon this passage and come with different views, different thoughts, different interpretations. And um, <clears throat> the date comes from theologians, from pastors, from believers that would agree on 99.9% of other things. And yet when it comes to this passage, some see a little bit more depth there. Some see a little bit more of just uh, uh, simpleness as far as just uh, these are the truths that we know. And I confessed last week that I'm more of that camp that says, okay, what can we know for sure? Now, that is not a call to be simpletons. I I hope that I made that differentiation last week that the Bible calls us maybe to have simple childlike faith in some of the mysteries of God. But that doesn't mean that we have to become simpletons. That is, that we just become nonchalant about that, that we think that it's of no matter, that it's not a deep and heavy thing. Um, But these are the two things that I can come away from this passage and other passages regarding last days, the second coming of Christ. Christ is coming back. If you are saved, I believe that you're secure because you're secure in the finished work of Christ. And we have a job to do until he comes back. Those instructions I, I see just come out of all the different passages And then one of those that really applies to us today, that I think that uh, is the main thrust of this passage, uh, some call it the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Jesus is giving this last instruction uh, to the disciples here as far as the teaching. And uh, he says, be on your guard. He doesn't say it once. He doesn't say it twice. But he says it three uh, three times. And really, if you want to get into the Greek, four times. Because it's not going to show up in verse 5 of your Bible, Mark 13, 5. But in the Greek, it is implied there. So really, there's three definite times. He says, be on your guard, stay awake. And there's really that fourth time that he precedes all of this. And he kind of uses as a foundation. And the latest COVID events in our country have kind of brought back, uh, you know, some of the thoughts. Uh, I remember about a year ago, uh, I preached on the subject. A lot of pastors did. Is this a sign of the end times? And we see something like that, that it really is uh, worldwide. It's taken many, many, many lives. It is quite um, catastrophic in many, many different ways. And so it, it kind of prompted the question from a lot of people, is this a sign of the end times? And I don't know if you remember my answer, but it was one that, uh, again, I'm sure infuriated a lot of people. And my answer was yes and no. Yes, I see this as... Part of the end times because I think the end times uh, were ushered in at the ascension of Christ. That's my personal view. That ever since that time we have been living, or ought to be living, in anticipation of his second return. Okay, and so to me this falls into what we would see in uh, this passage as the birth pains. In fact, look at Mark thirteen eight. For nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, birth pains. Okay, well, birth pains. Why, why does he use that illustration? Well, Jeff covered that a couple of weeks ago as far as the illustration. It's, it's a really good illustration at the minute. Uh, let's say that your wife is going into uh, labor and has birth pains. You're not able to predict the exact moment at that point in time of when there's going to be delivery. For some, uh, on our first one, that was uh, way before we expected. <laughs> Ashley our Ashley came two months early. On the second one, there was a little bit more anticipation. I'm sure you've heard some that were in labor for two or three or four days. Okay, But the birth pains didn't tell you the exact time that that child was going to come, but what did it tell you? Be alert, be awake, you know, go to the hospital or, you know, be prepared for this birth. And so I think that's where this falls, the whole COVID thing. It's just one more thing that is part of the birth pains that Christ predicted 2,000 years ago. No, in the sense that I don't know that it's a specific event that we can go to one verse and say, oh, check mark to this verse because this event happened. There are so many things that I think just are part of this birth pains. Now, is God evil? Is he cruel because he won't give us more details? Now, I think he's very kind because I think human nature is one of those that if you had specific time, I think there's a laziness within us. I think there's a a casualness with us. I think there's a part of us that would fall asleep and not be alert. What does Christ keep on saying? On guard, be on guard. Anybody ever fenced? Okay, Have you watched fencing before? They're standing there. They have this equipment. And then somebody says, on guard. And what does that mean? What do they do when you say on guard in a fencing match? They get ready. Okay, <laughs> They get the fence. And this is what Christ is telling us. That we have this readiness of mind. A readiness of heart. A readiness in our whole life. Anticipating what? his return his quick return and so it makes sense to me that that this is the warning that he would give us now again we kind of want charts and dates and times and specific events okay this happened here i'm not saying that when israel became a nation again uh, what almost 80 years ago now that that wasn't a significant event. I don't know that I can tie it exactly to all these different verses. I think it was significant. I think it plays into part of, the, part of the birth pains. But I don't know that I can always tie every single human event on earth to specific verses. Some, yes. But not every one. And yet we have this desire to can we take everything that is said about the end times and can we tie it to dates and times and events. Um, any of y'all have ever looked at a uh, a chart of the end times kind of a, a yeah. and and please hear me there is nothing whatsoever evil about that it's helpful it's very helpful but which one did you look at did you look at that one that's a little complicated there but it's maybe a good one what what about this one okay i see a lot of bible verses i see a lot of different things and you know this. This can be found at, you know, on a ra- You know, this is going to come from a, a perspective of the rapture. What about this next one? Okay, it seems a little bit more simplistic, and it looks at a-, a millennial and postmillennial and premillennial. And there's a lot of charts out there, guys. And please, I am not saying don't look at charts, don't become informed by charts. But which chart? And if what if you and another trusted brother or sister have different charts? This is the difficulty, and this is not for us to throw up our hands and and just give up. No, be alert, be aware, be on guard. That seems to be this overwhelming thing that God keeps on telling us through this, and Christ pronounces in this passage. Not to be simpletons, but I do think that we need to sometimes take a more simplistic approach. I'm fine with others having a more complex view. I'm fine for some that uh, I will break bread with anybody and sit down and talk and converse with people that want to tie every event that happens nowadays to a verse. I'm fine with that. I'm not offended by that. I'm kind of curious about that. So it's not going to bring division to me. I'm just being very honest with you. That's not where your pastor is. I'm a little bit more simplistic. I'm going to go with... I'm going to be guided in this passage by, by three uh, different things. Number one, verse 8, the use of the term birth pains. I think there's a whole bunch of these events, COVID perhaps being one of those, the, the increase of earthquakes, uh, calamity, pestilence, all these different things that are happening in the world that the Bible says, hey, these are going to happen in the last days. I think they are part of this birth pain. This is God readying us for the event of Christ's return. A second thing is in verse 9, 23, 33, really implied in verse 5, be on your guard. But here's all that was kind of last week, and and I just want to kind of get us to that point. But here's where I want us to go this morning. Uh, Verses 20, 23, 26, and 31, what we see there is a pronouncement that Christ is sovereign over all of this. This is why I think I can rest. Be aware and on guard, but rest. Rest in what? The sovereignty of God. Look at verse thirteen uh, 14. I'm sorry, Mark 13. 14. We looked at it a little bit last week. But when the... There ought not to, to, to be. Let the reader understand... Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. We said that was probably an important verse. because it's causing for a reaction, a command, flee to the mountains. And I told you last week that more than likely one of the occurrences of this happened before Christ came in the flesh, before the incarnation. In 167 BC, a Greek ruler by the name of Antichus Antichus, uh, Epiphany, took the altar, uh, went to the altar and uh, gave a, a burnt offering to Zeus, uh, swine. Uh, legend would tell us that he then made the Jewish priests actually eat of that swine. Uh, certainly that's an abomination, certainly of desolation. Others would also look at future events, not just that past event. They would look at what happened when the temple was destructed in uh, AD 70, and they would say this was an example of that. Because the Romans came in and they stood exactly where the the altar were. And they did things that truly could be called an abomination. So we have all of these different events. Was it this one? Was it this one? Is there one still coming? I do believe that this has a a future to it also. I do believe that Satan will try to make the Antichrist. We can look in Revelation and that there's going to be an event that will happen that will fit this description. So is God being mysterious? Somewhat. Is he telling us an untruth? No. Whether it was one event, whether it's three events, whether it's a hundred events, what is he trying to get us to see here? This is where I come back to a pretty simplistic view. Be on guard. Be awake watch for things. Notice what Jesus says that will happen in the beginning of those days. Look at verse 19 and 20. For in those days there will be such tribulation as had not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose... He shortened the days. Does that tell you time? Does it tell you the exact events that will happen? No, it gives some general things. Does it tell you who's in control? This is my point. Not not so much my point, this is my interpretation. Whenever there's question marks... But God has defined very much that he's in control. Uh, well, how did, Pastor, where does it say that he's in control? If the Lord had not cut short these days, and then it talks about, but for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he, he shortened these days. God is in control. As ultimately God is in control. This is where I find my confidence in the unknown. I find it in the known. And what do I know about God? I know that he loved me enough to give me His son, to provide salvation for me. That that, that blood that we sing about did cover all my sins. So this is where I find confidence, and this is where I don't have to react in fear, but that I can be awake and alert. Because we are to be awake and alert, because one of the things that it says in this passage is that there's going to be a lot of false Christ. I mean, one of the major warnings that we get here, that in the last days, there will be the appearance of false Christ. Look at verse 21 and 22. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. That, that is worthy of two or three sermons just by itself. But in the... the um, Desire to to cover all of this together. What do you get from that passage? A warning that there's going to be false Christ, false belief. Do you think that we are living in a day and time where we are seeing some of this come true? Yes. And I would believe that you could go all the way back to the ascension of Christ. And from that moment on, there have been different times in history, some more so than others. But there's been false teachers and false claimers and false truth all along, ever since that time. Again, I mean, go back and read early Christian history, and it's amazing how even within the church, there was a wide variance of different beliefs. And all of a sudden they took the simplicity of this all-sufficient Savior and they started trying to, trying to, to, to give variances like, well, was He really both God and man? Did this really happen? Was He really dead? I mean, just all kinds of variances that came out of that. Ever since the ascension of Christ, ever since the finished work of Christ, we have lived in this day. And so what do we take from this? Will there be an increase in false Christ? I think we could say that there probably will be? But folks, we live in a day and time, not just when people claim to be the Messiah. We've seen that in our lifetime. We've seen people make that claim and they were false Christ. But would you say that the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, in other words, the mindset of the Antichrist is already here in the day that we live? Very much so. And so this warning is well received. It, it, I mean, it, it means it's a real warning with a real message. Personally, I think we need to be looking much more at false Christ than the number of earthquakes. I'm not saying that there's not going to be more earthquakes. He says, you know, in the last times, man, there's going to be peril and earthquakes and calamities and all this. And so I know some people, every time there's an earthquake, man, one more? You know, you notice that for this 10-year span, there was more than this 10-year span? I get that. I think it's the birth pains. But what is the call of Christ upon my life? This is only Bobby speaking for Bobby. Not to count the number of earthquakes or tornadoes or this happening, but to be aware of false teaching and be aware of false Christ. I think that's much, much more important than trying to say, well now, you know, there was, used to be 111 earthquakes and now there was 1011. That's birth pains. Starts with the contraction and what do, what happens to the contractions? They increase. They increase. And they they get deeper, if you want to say, or more intense, and, and, and together more. And so are we going to see that in peril? Yes. I think that's part of this. Can we tie a specific event to it? No. But one thing that we can know for sure is this warning against false teachers. I mean, notice what Jesus says about the signs of things like more wars and nation against nation, famines, pestilence, and natural disasters. Look at verse 8. Go all the way back up. Let's keep it in context. For nation will rise against nation, the kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Okay, Jesus says all this. But these uh, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. It doesn't mean that we ignore this, but they serve a purpose for us to live lives that are on guard. You see, in this passage, the foundational truth, I believe, comes to the believer that God is in control. I don't really like tribulation. I told you last week, if, if I just had my pick of the different end times things, I'm wanting a rapture, the church of Christ gone in the immediacy, and we're out of here. But if we have to live through half of it, and there is an interpretation that some people have, taken by Bible verses that we're going to live through half the tribulation. There's others that believe that we will live through a whole tribulation period. Others would say that we're in the tribulation period right now. There's a lot of different views. But what is the one redeeming foundation of all this for the believer? God is in control. And it frees me from having to have a date Again, not to be a simpleton, but to be simplistic and to place my faith exactly where it needs to be. I mean, one thing that for people that say, you know, well, I just know that God's going to take us out of the tribulation. And they're doing it because that's the character of God. And he wouldn't put his people through that. Guys, go read the New Testament. (laughs) Go ask Stephen. Go ask the other martyrs. The early church actually said that the gospel was planted, the seeds of the gospel were planted on the blood of the martyrs, and they weren't making light of the blood of Christ. What they were saying is, this came through death from a lot of people. I mean, I don't know that we can look back in history and say, okay, God saves all those people from heartbreak, trouble, and tribulation. Just the opposite, that we will go through heartbreak, trouble, and tribulation. But here's the redeeming truth. But God is sovereign. This is our peace. Not knowing every detail, not being free from trouble in life, but that God is always working for His glory and He's always working for our good. And I promise you that if you don't have that as an inherent foundation, the things of this world, that happened to really good people that I love, it will blow you away because you just don't see that. A pastor's heart is troubled when he sees calamity and tribulation come to people that he loves, that he knows love Jesus really, really well if my thought is that Jesus only saves those from trouble that are really, really of the utmost faith, then that means that these people are not either of faith and that I may not be of faith, that you may not be of faith. No, I have to come back and say, what do we believe about this God? What does he tell us about himself? Not that he will keep troubles and tribulation away, but that he will be there as the foundation. And this is our hope. And this is our hope for the end times. Whether you're a firm believer in rapture, uh, a mid-trib, a post-trib, hey, we're in the millennial period. No matter what view you might come to as you read the Bible and as you look at all those things, this is the redeeming truth. God is in control. And I am not out of his hand and I'm not away from his sovereignty. This is my peace. Our hope is found in the victory of Christ and the return of Christ. Look at verse 24 through 27. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Okay, pretty important stuff there. But look at verse 26 and 27. And then we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power And glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Did it give us a date? Did it give us necessarily even a sequence of events? Check, 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 check. What does, what does the word of God tell us? That he's going to come in great power and glory and he will gather his elect. This is where we rest, guys. Am I curious? You better believe. I am so curious. But my resting place is in the sovereignty of God, in the sufficiency of Christ. That no matter when this happens, do you believe that the second coming will come at the perfect time of God? Not a second too early, not a second too late? No, because he's in control. Yes, of course it will. Look at verse 28 through 31. I think that's the foundational purpose that he gives, even in this, some would call it a parable, some it's an illustration. Look what Jesus says. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you will know that summer is near. Now, they're in an agricultural society, and farmers know these things. Farmers know their crops, Okay. And they could not tell you that today is July 12th, but they can say, okay, we're probably in July because this is what's happening to the crops and it happens this time every year. They can give you a general look because they observe the crops and that's what Jesus is saying. Because look at verse 29. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. That's what the ESV says. Anybody have the King James? Okay. Does it say that you'll know that he is here here? Or does it say that you know that it is near? It. Did the ESV mess it up? Does the King James mess it up? No, if you go back, and again, I, I wish we would preach a whole sermon just on that one thing. What it's talking about is these events. I actually think the King James and the NIV is more correct than the ESV. And I love the ESV, but I think it's more correct. The rendering, when you look at the Greek structure there. But do you see where confusion can come? Also of we get a he. Well, he is different from an event <laughs> that would be described as an it. And so this is where, I mean, even the scholars are going, wow, this is really tough stuff. Uh, the other thing, verse 30. Truly I say to you, now Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. He is speaking it to his disciples. Does he mean this generation? Does he mean the generation of Jewish people? Does he mean the generation of now that the church age is about to be ushered in? Do you see where confusion certainly comes from these things? So it's okay for us to be curious. It's okay for us to have... Interpretations based on the Bible. I don't think we need to have fear about these things. Because it's in the solid hands of a sufficient God who sent a sufficient Savior. This assurance comes not because we have a timeline, that we have dates, that we have events tied to different verses, but because God is and control. So how do we apply this as we close this morning? Again, be on your guard, stay awake. Look at verses 32 through 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 33, be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or the midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I will say to all. Stay awake. Has God left us action, an opportunity to respond? Yes. And what is that proper response? According to Jesus, be on your guard, stay awake. The second thing that I think that we can act upon how we apply this is place our confidence not on our ability to decipher a time, but on God's eternal sovereignty over all of this. I don't have to stay awake at night living in fear. I'm to stay on guard and stay awake, but not to live in fear. It's kind of like people, have you ever met somebody who was fearful that they committed the unpardonable sin? If you've ever researched and you really kind of you know take that back to the original, if you're worried, if somebody comes to me and says, I'm worried that I've committed the unpardonable sin, just because they asked that question, they haven't. Because when you really understand what the unpardonable sin is, just asking that, being aware of it, means that you haven't committed that, in, in, in my interpretation and in many other biblical scholars. And that's kind of what happens here. The very fact that we ask and we wonder about times is, is a certain alertness that we may have. Folks, I, I realize that we love putting together biblical puzzles. And I believe that there is much blessing, as we said last week, of reading Revelation and to read that, Um, take current events into biblical prophecy and and see where the check marks are. I I understand our desire for that. But I also think that it can be somewhat misleading and it will take our eyes off the prize because we look at events rather than the warning. If there's one real warning here, it's watch out for false Christ, false teaching. And if there's one thing of alertness, be on guard. Stay awake. Let me give you an example as we close. Ever heard of the mark of the beast? Is that something you think we need to be aware of? Conscious of? Alert to? Yeah. In our lifetime, in our lifetime, um, if you go back... And you look at the evangelical, let's say conservative Christianity, mainline streamline Christianity, back in the '60s when credit cards really started coming out and being more and more pronounced. Guess what was said about credit cards? The mark of the beast, because they're going to be able to see everything that you've bought. Anybody have a cell phone? You know what was said about cell phones? You go back and look. I, I, this might be part of the mark of the beast because now not only do they know what you're buying, but they know where you are. Anybody have the internet? Go back and read. Oh, I think this is just, this is the mark of the beast because not only do they know what you're buying and they know where you are, but they know what you're looking at and even what you're thinking. I'm not trying to be humorous. I really am not. I sincerely, honestly am not, guys. I'm just saying, man, if we, if we want to be fearful, we can live in fear. But we are not to have the spirit of fear or timidity. But if power, based on what? On the finished work of Christ, on the very spirit of God, and the revelation of God. This is where our victory comes. That God who controls and is sovereign over all things has a perfect plan. All these other charts that I showed you. That's our interpretation. But guess who does have a timeline? Guess who is beyond time itself and is working his will to the ages? Sovereign God who's given his own son so that me in the midst of my sinfulness can have hope to spend life with him forevermore. I don't minimize the teachings on the end times. I just really want to maximize the sufficiency of who's in control and the sufficiency that I don't have to live in fear. I can live in curiosity. And a certain amount of curiosity keeps me awake and alert. And that's what I'm instructed to do. But as I lay my pillow on the bed tonight, guys, just to take modern you know our, our our most recent thing do i have to worry man is this corona thing is this all is this all part of the end times yes because we've been living there since the ascension of christ i don't know that this is the last or next last little checkbox but even if it is my hope is in jesus and his righteousness there's where my peace comes. There's where our hope comes. Don't be simpletons. Study the word of God. Get into different things. But when there is a question about the end times, don't go to a book, no matter who the person who, who taught it. Go to the word of God and say, God, will you teach me? Will you teach me the application of this? One thing you won't see, I may write more books in my lifetime, but one of them isn't going to be on the end times. (laughs) Because I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm overwhelmed by it. And in that being overwhelmed, I rest in the sufficiency of my God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, Father, I I pray, I hope, I pray, Father, that I, I have been true to your word this morning, Father. I know some would preach this passage and they would give timelines and they would give details and they would tie it to this and that. And Father, I am not here to say that they are wrong. Father, I just want to, as we as a people, as we study your word this morning, Father, we're methodically going through this gospel of Mark. Father, I want to give them, Father, what do we do? How do we react? And Father, you've made that very, very clear through the words of Christ. Be on guard. Stay awake. Know that the time is coming and today is one day sooner than it was yesterday. And go out into this world, Father. And Father, teach people of your sovereignty, of your sufficiency, of your love, of a coming judgment. Father, one thing that we read in these verses is that when Christ comes out, Father, he came in a cradle full of grace and mercy. Father, he's coming back and there's judgment coming. So, Father, we don't make light of that. But we make much of a God who's made provision through his Son for us to have peace with you. So, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Let us preach the good news of the gospel, Father, in light of a coming judgment. And help us be examples, Father, of people that are living not in fear, but in faith. We love you and we thank you, Father, as we pray all these things in the hope of Christ. Amen.